following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship, St. Pete, in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. There's something about corporate worship. I, I, I can't explain it. I, I really can't. You know, as many times as you try, but there's just something about worshiping with the assembly, with, with the saints, that just, it, it edifies, um, it lifts up, it, it refreshes. Um, Jimbo used to say about, about Wednesday night, we would come in, he, he called it the oasis in the desert. And, th- and that's kind of how I feel, you know, if, if you're not part of a life group or, you, you know, you not meet with people during the week, it's amazing because we come in on Sunday morning and we get we get lifted up, and then as we as we go through our week, you know there's there's so much that just bombards us from every angle that sometimes you just you just get drained, right? You're constantly pouring out into the lives of others, um, family, friends, and it's important to have those moments during the week to be around brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can edify one another and be be lifted back up, right? This this oasis in the desert. Um, I'm going to take a few moments at the beginning here. Uh, I don't know why I'm doing this. It's just something the Lord kind of put in my heart. But I'm going to just give a short reflection on, on these last three months. So uh, Colin's going to be back next week and I had a really really good chance to speak with him and uh, he's excited to come back and to share everything that the Lord's given him in this time away. Um, But going into this time, into these three months, uh, I was very overwhelmed at the responsibility of of coming up and, and giving the message. And during this time, I've I feel like the Lord has has really had his way with me in, in my heart. And, and I hope that, um, that he's touched each of you as well. And I've, I've received a lot of encouragement from, from the body, and I'm very thankful for that. And I've also received some, some correction from people and from the Lord and, and different things. And I think that's, that's part of it, right? Because as, as sons and daughters... How do we how do we know we're sons and daughters? But because we get disciplined, right? Sons and daughters. Um, but ultimately, it it's been very reassuring for me to know that I'm able to to give Colin some rest in this time. Um, he's he in the, in the leadership we've talked about that, and that's something that that he's been looking forward to, and he's not had a chance to have so. God has really prepared me for this season of life so that somebody else can have time that they need. And, and, and it's very humbling for me, but also, you know, looking, looking at him, it's got to be humbling for him as well to know that, that others are standing in his place in this time, and, and not just me, but, you know, others as well. And, and ultimately, God, God gets all the glory for this. And I just want to, I want to share this with you. Um, before, th- this was back in, in April when we had an idea of that all this was, was going to happen. You know, you knew it was going to happen, but then it's going to happen. 
and it's it's right there. And I remember there were there were multiple nights in a row where I was just I couldn't sleep. I was just in bed, and my mind was you know the Lord's just working in my mind, and I had to get out of bed, and I would just fall on the ground with my hands out and just cry out to the Lord. Like, Lord, you have to do this. You have to do this. Who, who am I? Right? Who am I? Who are we without the Lord? We're, we're nothing. I need him for everything. And so I was just crying out to the Lord. I said, Lord, just fill me with just a small portion of your spirit, just a small portion, just, just to give me the strength to get through this. And I'm telling you guys, that's it. That, that's what it is. He, he was faithful. It's his strength that's gotten me through this. Um, I don't, I don't feel worthy to be up here speaking to you. And, and ultimately, any words that I share that that are not from him, um, you know, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of anything that he's that he's done. And as the the last song that we sung, the the ancient words. <laughs> it, I, I just pray that we will never stray from these ancient words of truth because that's what's going to impart to us anything that we need in this life. And and there's there's been a a change in the quality of life for me in in these last three months, and this is something that I'm I'm never going to forget. This is something that's going to pull me on till the end. And and when I say I say quality of life. Right? That's a phrase that I think sometimes is misunderstood. And so that I'm going to transition in, into the message here because I, quality of life has a lot to do with what we're talking about this morning. Someone consider the quality of life to be about luxuries that are afforded through hard work, maybe investments, material success. However, the material life is one day going to pass away. Just like our bodies. We, we're not going to be able to take this body with us. We're not going to be able to take our stuff with us. True life in Jesus Christ has a quality that goes beyond this material world. It's afforded through His blood shed on the cross of Calvary. Again, that, that's how it's afforded. Its security rests on his resurrection and future return. And its success rests on a victory that has already been won. This life in Christ is experienced by those who have a share in the kingdom of heaven. Many of Jesus' teachings are given to us to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. In the passage this morning, he helps us to understand what the quality of life is like for those who are co-heirs in his kingdom and for those who are not. Please stand with me this morning as we read the passage. Um, this is Luke 6, 20 through 26, and reading through the, from the ESV. Starting in verse 20. And he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You may be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that your words would would speak to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would write your words in our heart. Holy Spirit, guide us and teach us this morning according to the will of the Father. Lord, I just pray that you would soften hearts. Lord, that you would allow us to let go of our own will and our own way and desire your will in your way. Lord, we thank you for this for this word. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, that cuts to the division of joint and marrow, soul and spirit. Lord, that no one is hidden from your sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Lord, I just pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So the the passage this week is the opening of what's become known as the Sermon on the Plain, which takes us farther into Luke 6. Its parallel passage in Matthew is Matthew 5, 1 through 12, which is also known as the sermon, the, the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. In the opening of these two famous sermons, Jesus provides some rich and historically meaningful teachings often called the Beatitudes. Scholars have written libraries of books on these two passages, and I'm sure many of you have heard your fair share of sermons as well. Hopefully this morning we'll see how the thread of blessings and woes that are spoken through the prophets and psalms will be interwoven with with this new teaching that Jesus is giving and we'll take a quick look at the structure of the passage. When we look at it closely, we, we see that there are four blessings in verses 20 through 23, the last one being very important. And each one with a corresponding woe in verses 24 through 26. This is called a step parallelism. So each one is parallel to the step previous. And there, there is significance in that. Some of that we're not going to have time to dig through this morning, but wanted to make you aware for your own studies. It's also worth noting before we 
dig any deeper, that there are two words that translate into English as blessed from Hebrew. And they both have a counterpart in the Greek. It's important that we look at both sets to see the distinction that is made and how it can lead to misunderstandings in this teaching. The first set of words that translate blessed are eulogia in the Greek, may have mispronounced that, and baraka in Hebrew. This word is used in prayer when asking God for some blessing related to healing, health, prosperity, victory in battle, or other such physical elements. These are not the words used in our passage today. The other word that translates into blessed is ashar in Hebrew and makarios in, in the Greek. These words do not invoke a wish of some physical blessing, but rather they recognize an existing state of happiness or good fortune. In other words, they represent a quality of spirituality or a quality of life that is already present. In the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, it's noted that when used in the New Testament, makarios overwhelmingly refers to the distinctive religious joy which accrues to man from his share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. I'm going to say that again. Makarios, the blessed as we read it today, overwhelmingly refers to the distinctive religious joy which accrues to man from his share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. The son or daughter of a king doesn't inherit the kingdom because of what they have or because of what they have done, but by who they are. The characteristics of God are active in the lives of those who live in his kingdom as sons and daughters. To enter his kingdom requires a new birth. I'm going to read a passage that illustrates this. This is John 3, 1 through 6. In this passage, a Pharisee named Nicodemus comes and speaks to Jesus and says, This is verse 1, John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Many of Jesus' teachings were hard to understand and still are without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
it requires a shift in perspective that comes only with his help. There's a change that takes place inside of us when we're born again, which brings the scriptures to life. They have a new meaning, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he has done. And that that change in perspective is what we need this morning to understand this current passage. If you read it in purely physical terms, you're going to miss a lot of the rich teaching that Jesus is giving this morning. In the previous passage, this is Luke 6, 12 through 19, it's important that we understand that Jesus went up a mountain to pray all night. And when he came down, he chose 12 apostles out of the many who were following him. After choosing them, he came down with, with the multitude of others and those who had come from Jerusalem, Judea, even as far as Tyre and Sidon. And in these moments, it says that he healed and cured all those who were sick and cleansed any who had unclean spirits. And listen to this. It says the power was coming out from him. It says as the power was coming out from him. So he prayed all night, came down, chose the twelve, healed and cured all those around of the multitude that were with him. Do you think he'd be tired? Now he begins to teach. <laughs> so let's let's dive into to some of the teachings. So this is Luke six, verse twenty. And he lifted his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So he lifted his eyes up on his disciples. This teaching seems to be directed at the multitude of disciples rather than just the twelve that were chosen to be apostles. Interestingly, in, in Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples two by two, to take the gospel into every town he was about to go and to speak about the kingdom of God and perform miracles. Upon their return, they rejoiced that even the demons submitted to them in Jesus' name. Jesus says in Luke 10:20, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in Luke 10.23, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So along with forming a renewed nation with the twelve, Jesus is also reforming the teachings of this new nation. In Jesus' time, the phrase the kingdom of God was used to describe a future Jewish nation state where God alone would rule as king. Jesus is declaring that the kingdom of God is already present. 
the disciples had to unlearn what they knew and allow Jesus to teach them about this new kingdom. Have you guys experienced that, having to unlearn what you think you already know? So blessed are the poor. In Matthew 5, it it reads, blessed are the poor in spirit. So we get some insight into this. Those that are familiar with the prophets, like the disciples would have been, would have understood that the poor are often associated with the pious and humble who seek God, those who seek the Lord. Humility. This is Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I'll read that again. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do you tremble at the word of the Lord? Jesus tells them and us that the kingdom of God is already present in the poor. Luke 6:21 Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. So blessed are you who are hungry now. Hunger and thirst, I, I often put those together when we talk about hunger. I put hunger and thirst generally together. These are some of the most primal desires in a human. Fundamental to, we would say, who we are. They can consume a person's being when faced with starvation. How many of us feel like that sometimes? The hunger and thirst tends to maybe overwhelm Physical hunger and thirst overwhelms who we are. Each one of us has a spiritual hunger and thirst that must also be met. Jesus is the bread of life, and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be satisfied. In the Matthew passage, it says those who hunger and thirst to righteousness. However, can one meal satisfy your physical hunger forever? Is there a fountain of youth 
a water that you can drink. Jesus speaks to the woman at the well. Maybe she understands that is what he's saying first. Where is this water you talk about? How often does physical hunger consume our thoughts and actions? In John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. The next day, the crowd search after him. And when they find him, they ask him why he left. In John 6, 26-27, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. After this, Jesus says something amazing and difficult. In John six fifty three through 54, we read, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, listen to this, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's a tough teaching. And in verse 66, we read that after this, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. The heart of this beatitude is found in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. We read, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy in the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Blessed are you who weep now. Weeping is associated with those who are low and in a needy condition. Listen to this. Weeping for others also requires a compassion and a softened heart. True weeping occurs when one becomes aware that all are low and needy because of sin and its effects. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul speaks about the grief that his first letter had caused them. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10, he says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance 
that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. And we see this in the the Old Testament as well. The residents of Nineveh knew a form of this grief and they mourned their sin in sackcloth and ashes and repented at the words of the Lord spoken through the prophet Jonah. In response, the Lord held back the impending destruction and had compassion on the residents of Nineveh. The one who is actively grieving the sin of the world will laugh joyfully when God makes all things right. You guys hear that? The one who is actively grieving the sin of the world will laugh joyfully when God makes all things right. We also read this in the in the Psalms. These are the words of King David, Psalm thirty four through five. It says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's look at the, the fourth of the Beatitudes written here. This is Luke six twenty two through 23. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Up to this point, all the Beatitudes are known by the, the disciples through the prophets and the Psalms. But here, there's a crucial shift that takes place. Loyalty to the person of Jesus Christ is openly introduced. No prophet or rabbi in the history of Israel had asked the people or followers to die for them. Loyalty to Jesus is inevitable if one seeks the fulfillment of righteousness from God. This loyalty will be tested by the world with all types of evil. But the reward is great in heaven for those who persevere. Just as the prophets were martyred, so were the apostles and many others who remained loyal to Jesus in the early church. For those who actively persecute the saints loyal to Jesus and stand opposed to God's righteousness, their fate is found with the son of destruction. And this is where the woes come in. Luke six twenty four through 26. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. 
Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The prophet Jeremiah was accustomed to bringing... Not moving. The prophet Jeremiah was accustomed to bringing bad news to the Israelites as they were not walking according to God's commandments. In Jeremiah 18, he brought a rebuke from the Lord and spoke of impending disaster because of their evil ways. They plotted to kill him, and eventually they put Jeremiah in prison in the stocks. The very next day he was released, and Jeremiah cried out to the Lord. In his cry, we can see the struggle between the opposing attitudes represented here by the blessings and the woes. Between those who actively love the Lord and seek him, and those who actively persecute his followers and stand opposed to him. This is Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 18. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me, For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a a dread warrior. Therefore my persecutors will stumble, they will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts who test the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of the evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me, Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave in her womb forever great why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame
Did it sound like he had an easy life? No. You, you see in, in his voice, you see the, the highs and the lows. Right? The, the Lord blesses. But, but what do we face in this life? Yeah, it's, there's trouble. We're told there'll be trouble in this life. There's suffering. But joy is in the morning. Jeremiah spoke truth. And sometimes the, the truth hurts. But when we speak the truth in love, we do as the Lord says. It's like a burning, burning within the bones. I'm going to do my best to sum, sum up these blessings and woes for you in a way that maybe we can understand them a little easier. Those who see themselves as rich and superior to others have no need to submit to Jesus as king. Again, those who see themselves as rich and superior to others have no need to submit to Jesus as king. Those who are full of themselves have no hunger for righteousness. Those who laugh at the condition and expense of others lack the compassion necessary to seek repentance. Those who tell people what they want to hear instead of the truth and love deceive both themselves and others. In Luke 13, Jesus says to strive to enter through the narrow door because once the door is closed, those left outside, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there are only two paths in this life. There's the the narrow path that leads to true life in Christ and then there's the wide path that leads to destruction. And the question this morning is, which path are you on? There's two applications I'm going to provide from this morning's teaching. The first one is future inheritance. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Paul says in his first letter, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. Amen. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I think that's pertinent to us this morning as we, again, reflect on the the lives of the saints. What then gets you into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that Jesus is speaking about? Will preaching in the pulpit every Sunday morning for 30 years get you there? How about leading a Bible study in prison? Does that get you into the kingdom of heaven? How about selling everything you have, moving to Africa to spread the gospel? Does that get you into the kingdom of heaven? As noble as these are, there's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. And only those who are born of the Holy Spirit can enter the kingdom of heaven. If you are unsure about your future, your future inheritance, life or death, this morning, cry out to the Lord. Believe in Jesus Christ. Confess and repent your sins. And ask God to be born of the Spirit. If this is you this morning, Lord, we, we would love to talk to you. Speak with one of the men after church. The second application is labor of love. The work of the Lord does not earn salvation. It is the active lifestyle of those who are brothers and sisters with Christ. Again, the labor of love, the work of the Lord, is the active lifestyle of those who are brothers and sisters with Christ. This is very pertinent to us. I want you to know that you are free to serve God as the Spirit leads. Each one of you, free to serve God as the Spirit leads. In ancient times, the slave or servant of a king had a higher standing and more freedom in the kingdom than a free man did. They could accomplish more. There will come a time when everything built by man, cities, ideologies, it will all come crashing down. And only the rock and that which is built upon the rock will stand. I read the passage earlier where Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. And this is the the final two verses. This is John 3, 7 through 8, the next two verses. And as the, the worship team. Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Each one of you has a mission field in your daily lives. Serve the Lord freely with the life given to you 
You only have one life. And know that you are blessed. My, my prayer for you this morning, for each one of you today, is that you enter your mission field this week and labor for the glory of God the Father with a pure heart and a right attitude. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.